how many are like me that have a long week and you listen to a song like that and you just want to listen to it one more time. Not be in a hurry, just <clears throat> absorb the beauty and the truth of that. So thank you, worship team. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 57 today. Psalm 57 is what I'm going to read for our scripture reading, but then we're going to turn back to 1 Samuel 21, so you'll need to find both places in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you, and 1 Samuel 21 is page 244, and Psalm 57 is on page 477. Let's stand together as I read Psalm 57. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, uh, a McKim of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his pur purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a trap for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen, it to them, fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and liar. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is greater to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on this psalm, God's word. This morning I'm speaking to a particular person or maybe a group of people, although I think this, this psalm will be helpful to you because you'll be at this spot at some point in your life, but I'm really thinking about people who would say, right now, Pastor Paul, my life's in a cave. Because that's when David wrote this psalm, when his life was in a cave. So if that's you then I pray that this would be helpful to you. After the service, uh, I'll be up front. If you would like somebody to pray for you, I'd be happy to do that as well. One of the reasons I chose this particular passage is really it's a reheating of a sermon that I did four years ago. And some of you remember when we went, th went through the books, First and Second Samuel, really focused on the life of Saul and the life of David. And I wanted to reheat it because there's one small connection to Ruth, and I just can't let it go of Ruth. That's really the main reason. Um, and the title of that sermon was From King to a Cave. 
from a king to a cave. And the reason it was titled that way is in 1 Samuel 16, if you remember, Samuel goes to Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem, and was told that one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed the king. So Samuel trots off to Bethlehem, and he looks at all the sons of Jesse. You remember that? There's eight of them in total. And he goes through the first seven, and it's not one of them. And there's a low, one lowly son, the youngest, who's a shepherd, who's not in the house. And that turns out to be David, and he is anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But when we reach chapter 22, which is where we're going to sort of start our reading this morning, when we reach chapter 22, David's hiding in a cave. So he went from this idea or this hope or this dream to being a king, and he ends up in a cave. And while David is in the cave, he wrote this song, much like you might write in a journal that you would say, I just want to remember this time. I want to remember how I felt. I want to remember how um, people treated me. I want to remember how I trusted the Lord, whatever that is, and he is able to put it in a song, and that song is 50, uh, Psalm 57, as you see in the title, When He Was in a Cave. When your soul gets pulled into a cave, when what you were so sure was going to happen isn't going to happen, or it's at least not going to happen the way you thought it would happen, what do you do at that point? Some of us are at that point. All of us, if you've been old enough, have been at that point. Where you were just so sure this is the way this is going to work out, and either it's definitely not going to work out, or it's not going to be anything like you thought, and it just creates this dark place in your mind and your soul. You get into a cave. And while David is in this cave, he sings this song really to himself. And it's an encouragement for his own soul and for us to press on, to press on. How do you press on when your soul's in a cave? When I was doing this sermon series, uh, in the middle of it, I had the opportunity, really the honor and privilege to go to India. And there was a pastor's conference. We're connected with Alpha Ministries, and it's a ministry to pastors to uh, create local churches in India. And Benny, the head, the leader of it, asked me to come and do the be the leader on the pastors' conference. So there were maybe seventy-five pastors and their wives in this conference center. And I arrive on a particular day, and it was so funny. I get to the airport and I call Benny, and he said, "Oh, I'm so glad you made it. Are they letting you out of the airport?" "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on my way." And he said, "Good, because the other guy who was going to assist, they wouldn't let him out of the airport." And he flew from Dallas, and they put him back on a plane. So I don't know who this guy is, but he's got a great story that he flew around the world. <laughs> he came one way to India. They said, I'm sorry, you can't come in. And then he flew the other way around the world to India, which was a fun story for him. But what wasn't fun for me is Benny said, oh, you can just take all the sessions. So I, I preached all these sessions, and the beautiful time there really was in between the sessions when I would sit with uh, as many of the couples as I could. And with the translator, just try to understand a little bit about their life, what it was like to be a pastor in India, what is difficult. And it wasn't surprising because I had been there before, but the same story unfolded every time. 
Well, I became a Christian, and because I was a Hindu and grew up a Hindu, my family completely disowned me. I, I was thrown out of my house. Many times I was thrown out of the town. Many times I was beaten in the hope that that would bring me back to my faith. But I, but I had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus. And I felt like he was calling me to give this away to my countrymen. But I know every time I stand up, there's a real danger of my life being in jeopardy. And I thought, what do you tell men and women like that? That they're at a conference. When they go back home, their life is in jeopardy for telling people about Jesus. They might be beaten. They might be just pushed out of town. What do you do when your soul is in a cave? What do you do when following Jesus actually makes your life harder? I mean, you came in thinking, oh, I'm following Jesus. It's going to be all up and to the right. What if it's down and to the left? That's, that's how David's feeling here. And, of course, David offers us some help. First of all, let's just try to understand the story. I talked about how it began in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. David is crowned the king or he's anointed the king. And imagine he moves back off to becoming a shepherd. He's 15 years old at this point. And what do you think a 15-year-old boy would dream about in terms of being a king? Probably like every other 15-year-old boy, a palace, you know, a cool car or chariot or whatever they would have, power, prestige, I mean, food, uh, uh, good clothing, I mean, all the things that sort of come with the trappings of, hey, I'm going to be king, and he ends up in a cave. I'm pretty sure this isn't how David was dreaming when he was out in the field. In chapter 17 through 20, David grows into this leadership position, and he finds out that Saul, the current king, actually doesn't want him to become king. And Saul, at one point, throws a spear at him and tries to put David to death. And then Saul's anger gets so intense that David has to live as a fugitive. So from chapter 21 to the end of the chapter, David's whole life is living in a cave. Now, again... David was promised he was going to be anointed king, and from the promise to the actual becoming the king, you know how long that was? Fifteen years. Now, what if I promised you something today that really was a great promise, but I didn't tell you anything about how long it was going to take? Wouldn't you think it's going to be on the near side, right? I mean, you wouldn't think, I'm sure he means that in 15 years. I mean, at some point at, between now and 15 years, I'd say, Paul was wrong. Bad promise, bad prophecy, you know? And so David has to live with this uncertainty for 15 years. His, his dreams turn into disappointment. Then in chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it's helpful to just see this. David departed from there. He's on the run, and he escaped to the cave of, of Adullam. This is where he writes Psalm 57. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David. And he became captain over, over them. So David's first palace was a cave. And who were his first followers? Isn't this a great description? 
everyone who is in distress, everyone in debt, everyone, is, everyone who's bitter. How'd you like to launch a church with this group? Or launch your business? Oh, all my employees are in distress, they're bitter, and they're all in debt. I mean, this is sort of, you remember the Rudolph Christmas thing? When he goes to the island of misfit toys? How many remember this? You know, the train, was it have square wheels or whatever? You know, all, it's just like all these people, they just don't fit. And, and he's got all these misfits as his sort of troop, his tribe, his army. And so David has to press on in the midst of this thing, this, in the midst of this group. And I'm going to suggest three things that help David press on when he's in a cave. And these three things might be helpful to you as well. First of all, people. Second, trusting God's providence. And third, praise. People, providence, and praise. People. David knows he can't survive on his own if he's going to press on. It's just not an individual effort. He's going to take a lot of his effort, but he's going to need people around him. Think about like at your high school or college graduation, all the people that come around you, that mostly it's your family or friends. It could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It's all these people have sort of made you press on through this educational uh, uh, turnstile to get to the end. And David's saying, here are some people who've helped me. First, the priests helped me. And we don't have time to look at all these verses, but in chapter 21, after David's on the run, the first person he goes to is to see a priest. And this priest named Elimelech takes a big risk because Elimelech, Elimelech formerly works for Saul, but he trusts that David is going to be king one day, and he gives him food, and he gives him the sword of Goliath. So if you remember, David killed Goliath, and he took Goliath's sword off of him and then chopped Goliath's head off. So he gives him some food, he gives him some weapons, and then he sends him on his way and says, press on. So this, this priest, this pastor is somebody who's trying to breathe life into this wayward person living in a cave. Chapter 23, David runs into the priest, another priest who's the son of Elimelech. And this time he comes looking for direction, guidance. So he comes to the priest and the priest encourages him. And the priest breathes life into him. So you and I were not designed to make it on our own. And part of the way we get this encouragement, part of the way we get this people breathing life into us is coming to church. And I, having, having had my sabbatical last summer for eight weeks, I would go to different churches during the time, but it wasn't my group of people, if that makes sense. I mean, they were in some sense, but I didn't know them. I wasn't going to come back. And I noticed that after four or five weeks, there was kind of a plateau. Just, uh, just I was missing the energy of being with these, you, my friends, I was missing sort of giving life to you and then you giving life back to me. And we all need that. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And to encourage one another all, all the days as we see that last day approaching. That's, that's the idea that you have a, a family, you have a group. 
that you can come and say, hey, I'm in a cave right now. I know if you're new here, and even if you're not new, you mostly come in and think, wow, these people look pretty squared away. Guess what? I mean, I hate to, to expose us all, but there's nobody here that's pretty squared away. We're all in some kind of issue or problem or concern or hope or joy, and, and, and at some point, we're going to need each other to say, hey, I remember being in a cave like that, and we just come in and breathe life into each other. So you need a, a, a family of God. You need a friend, a personal friend. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15. Best friend for David is a guy named Jonathan, who happens to be Saul's son. And this is what it says. We'll start in uh, chapter 23, verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness, both physically and emotionally. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David. And he strengthened his hand. What a great line to underline. And he said to him, do not fear, David, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and, it, and I shall be standing next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord that day. What a beautiful moment. This friend comes in, and the friend takes the initiative. This is one of the key components, that you need to have a friend like this, and you need to be a friend like this. Somebody who, who knows, hey, I see my friend. He's in trouble. I, can, just, I just know his temperature. I know his heartbeat. And he or she, they're in trouble, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wait for them to text me. I'm not going to wait for them to call me. I'm going to step in and say, hey, I'll, how can I strengthen your hand? One of my good friends here in town is a pastor, Rob Campbell. Some of you know him because he's preached here before, uh, pastor of a black church across town. And many years ago, probably 10 years ago, I was just in a difficult spot, and I wasn't returning his phone calls, and he just couldn't get up with me. So one day, he just barged into the office unannounced. And when, he, when Rob Campbell barges in, everybody notices and he just walked right back to my office, you know, no, no politeness. Hey, Sarah, you know, I'm going to walk on back here. No, just I'm walking back. And it was a great moment where he just came and said, I, I know you well enough to know something's not right. And all I'm here to do is just strengthen your hand. And don't you love that picture? David's hand is slipping off the promises of God. You ever been there? I, th I thought I could knew God. I thought I could trust his promises. I thought he was going to be with me forever. It, but it feels like my, my hands are slipping off that rope. And then somebody suddenly comes, puts their hands on your hands and strengthen your hand. If you're in a cave, you've got to have somebody or some bodies like this. You've got to be somebody like this. David had Jonathan. And then he had his family. Notice in chapter 22, verse 1, David's on the run. And his whole family comes into the cave. Well, that's a pretty big family there. Seven brothers come in. That feels strengthening, doesn't it? Hey, we, we, we could hear, we could see that you were in trouble. 
And so his family comes in and says, hey, we're here to help, to help you press on. You know, and um, I'm sure this will get shown somewhere. In 2024, the summer of 2024 is the Summer Olympics. You probably know this in Paris. And, um, of course, one of the favorite parts of the Olympics are track and field type games. And uh, there was a guy named Derek Redman. I'm sure you've seen this video somewhere, Derek Redman. Do not Google it right at this moment. But he was from Britain, and he ran the 400 meters, you know, one time around the track. And he was one of the favorites for the gold medal. And so they start the race, and he's running full speed. It looks good, and he pulls a hamstring. And it just, I mean, it's just immediate. You know, he just stops and crumples to the ground. And here's his moment, you know, the, the gold medal. He's been training his whole life for just, you know, this 50 seconds or however long it takes. And in the middle of it, he pulls a hamstring. He's crying. He can't believe he can't even finish the race. And if you've seen it, it's a, it's a tear-jerking moment. You've seen this? His father busts through the crowd, comes vaulting over the wall, past all the security who are trying to tackle him, comes and grabs his son, and together they walk across the finish line. Beautiful. You've got to have a family like that. And, of course, some of us are in families that we don't have that, and that's why the church is called a family. You have brothers and sisters here. You have spiritual mothers and fathers. You have a family here that can, can come into your cave, can strengthen your hand when you fall down and you thought, oh, I was going to win the gold medal and you're not going to win the gold medal. But I'll still help you get across the finish line. So if you're in a cave, you need, you need people. Second thing, you need to trust in the providence of God, which is really why I'm doing this whole sermon. So pay attention if you haven't paid attention yet. Providence, we just find this in the book of Ruth as the wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way the Lord has a way of ruling the world. The wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way the Lord has. I mean, just talking to, to Steve, thinking in 1980, we met on a dock at Seapath. And who would have guessed? Who would have guessed here we would be 43 years later baptizing his granddaughter. It's just incredible. I mean, it's really incredible. And just trusting the providence of God over time. And that's what David has to do. He has to trust. And here's how Corey Tim Boom, you remember her, spent three months in solitary confinement and 10 months in a German concentration camp. She writes this, my life is but a weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why. So he's weaving. I don't get to choose the colors. But one day the shuttles are going to stop and he's going to unfold a canvas and you're going to say, I don't have any questions. You're not, you know, you realize when you get to heaven, you're not going to say, I've got a lot of questions. They're all going to be answered just by the presence of the Lord. And so God, David has to trust. Now, David decides in chapter 22, you see this in verse 3. David went from there, this is with his family, where the cave is, to Moab. 
And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time David was in his stronghold or in the cave. Well, you're scratching your head. You're not scratching your head because we've done Ruth. But if you hadn't, you'd be scratching your head saying, of all the places, why is David taking Jesse to Moab? This is like enemy territory. But is it enemy territory? Not for Jesse. Because who was his grandmother? Ruth, a Moabite. So this is what's amazing to me, is that 200 years before this moment, God allowed a little Moabite slave girl to wander with Naomi over to Israel to find a kinsman redeemer, to give birth to Obed, who would give birth to Jesse, who would one day come find his son in a cave, and his son would take him for safety back to Moab. That's incredible to me. And I want you to know, you could be in a cave right now that God's using to help your great-grandson 200 years from now. See, that's why we have the Bible and how these stories are connected. It's just not you and next week. It's just not you in your lifetime. God, God's doing thousands of things all the time. Not just you. And You know when you wake up, you're like the, the main character in your story? Is anybody like this? And like you're the, you're, you're the main character and everything just revolves around you. This is how you think about your life. This is how some people do. But God's doing thousands of things at any one moment in your life, many of which you will not see. And what's happening when Ruth is going from Moab to Israel is God saying, there's going to be a moment that I'm going to need to protect the king and his family, and I'm going to use this woman from 200 years ago to do it today. Incredible. Just trusting the providence, the providence of God. Let me close with this. I had one more illustration, but I want to press on. So you need to trust in the providence of God. You need to have people. Number three, you need to praise, to sing. How do you press on? Remember Paul and Silas in the jail? Philippians? In the, in the jail in Philippi? It's Acts 16, maybe. What are they doing? Singing. Remember that? And then an earthquake happens. They're singing. They're here. They're chained up in the darkness. They've been beaten. And they're singing. And David is singing. He's singing to himself this song, Psalm 57. And so let's just close with just three things just to notice what he sings. Verse 1, he sings humbly. Give ear to my prayer, prayer O God. And hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. See, he's not stomping in, making demands. I, I need mercy. I'm not worthy of your attention, but you, you've appointed me, you've called me, so I'm just asking humbly that you would hear my prayer. So he sings humbly. He sings hopefully. Verse 2, I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. 
I know he's going to fulfill it. I, I just trust in that. I'm singing, hopefully, the word fulfill means to finish or to complete. So it's, it's, not, it's not really a pep talk. It's a truth talk. I'm reminding myself of this truth. I, in other words, David's singing this. I'm crying out to the Lord who's using things that I can't under, understand to fulfill his purpose. I know this cave is, isn't a detour. It's actually part of God's purpose. And although my circumstances look bleak, God will finish what he started. You probably are familiar with Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, Paul says, while he's sitting in a prison, he who began a good work in me, what does it say? He will complete it. It doesn't look like he's doing much right now while he's in a prison. But I don't, know, I don't actually know all of God's plans for me. And part of his completed plan could be me being in a prison or being in a cave or just being in a dark place for a while, maybe 15 years. God will fulfill his purposes. So when you're in a dark cave, I don't want you to think he's forgotten. I want you to think he's fulfilling I wonder how many times you've come on a Sunday morning like me and the sermon's fine, but that's not really what you remember. It was the singing or maybe just a particular song. You know, that's what got left with you is you just kept singing that song, you know, over and over. And it strengthened your soul in a way that a sermon couldn't or a conversation couldn't or even just a person couldn't. It was, it was singing because it gets into your soul somehow. And that's what the third part is. He, he, he sings to strengthen his soul. Look at verse 8 and 9. I love this. Awake! You feel that? He's trying to wake himself up. He's, he's trying to say, turn it up. You know, like a song and you go, let's turn that up. He's trying to turn up this song in his soul to say, Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I'm going to give thanks to you, O Lord, among all these people. I'm going to sing praises among the nations. I'm going to sing of your great steadfast love and your faithfulness to the clouds. He's singing a, a message to his soul that even those in a dark place, he knows his victory rests in the Lord. So I hope you have songs that you sing. Christian songs or psalms, poems, something that, that ignites your soul when you're in a dark cave that, that God's providence and God's people can help with, but the song comes in in a different way. We all know David is really the shadow of the true king. And the true king, Jesus, he was in a cave. What was the darkest moment for Jesus isn't it this moment? What does he do on the cross? He sings a song. Who wrote the song? Incredible. David. Isn't that amazing? A thousand years before, David's in a dark place. He writes a song, and the son of David, who also happens to be the son of God, sings his song. It's Psalm 22. Now, he's not singing the entire song because you're hanging on a cross and you can barely breathe. So he just spits out a few words, 
but he lets the listener know, this is the song I'm singing. Does that make sense? I'm just singing the first line, but I'm letting you know, this is the song that's going through my mind. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the part that we know. The part that he couldn't say because he didn't have enough breath. Why are you so far from saving me? Feel that? I'm in a dark place. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered. They cried out and they were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Oh, man, imagine that. He's in the darkest place. There will be descendants, he continues to sing, who serve this person. He's talking about himself. A generation will be told about the Lord. They will tell people yet to be born about his righteousness, that God has finished it, and they will tell people that God has done what he says. Amen. He's singing a song. He's singing truth into his soul, and that helps him press on. So if you're one of the people that are here and you're in a cave, I, I am sorry for whatever purpose put you there. But it's not an accident. It's part of the design. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. And you may not know for 15 years or until glory why you're in that moment. But I pray that you have a, a church, a family that can supply physical needs or emotional needs, can breathe life into your soul, that you have a friend and that you are a friend, that you can come in and say, I'm taking the initiative, I'm going to strengthen your hand, or you're going to, you're going to have your hand strengthened by a friend. And that you have a song to sing in your soul that helps you when you're in a dark place. Let's pray together before we sing. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. It's a light into our path. You're the good shepherd that leads us beside still waters, and you're the good shepherd that leads us through the dark valley of the shadow of death. In both places, you are with us. So as we think about, as we ponder, as we sing together, we hear the voices of our brothers and sisters, would you encourage every soul, but especially those in a cave today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.